Hello, and welcome into the Ringerverse from the Ringer. My name is Mallory Rubin. And I'm Van Latham. Mal, before we get started, does anyone want to know what the Ringerverse is? The Ringerverse is one podcast feed with multiple shows on all things superheroes, nerd culture, and fandom entertainment. Instant reactions to new releases, theory breakdowns, fun takes on the latest news, and more. Whether you're a casual fan or an obsessive like us, our shows are worthy of all your fandom needs. So head to the Ringerverse and follow the show now on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like Michelob Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. They say a gentleman always keeps his word, but I can't repeat any of the words that the weed-dealing, gambling, murdering aristocrats say in The Gentleman. Guy Ritchie's first TV show ever, only on Netflix, based on his award-winning film, The Gentleman Series stars Theo James, my guy from White Lotus, and a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out, pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, where you can find Kevin O'Connor's uh, early edition of the 2021 NBA Draft Guide. He did the top 15 prospects, many of whom are playing this weekend in the NCAA tournament. Check that out. Also, check out the Ringer Podcast Network, where we launched the Ringerverse podcast last week. It's awesome. We are going to be going three times a week on that feed, reacting to nerd culture, superheroes, Marvel, all that stuff. Mally Rubin, Van Lathan, and a host of others are on that podcast. Coming up, Ryan Russell and I taping past midnight ET. Oh yeah. Yeah. We wanted to wait till every college basketball game was done. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Ryan Russell is here taping this late. It is 9.22 p.m. Pacific time. We decided to wait until after the Oklahoma State game, which was the last March Madness game of this Friday, Saturday, Sunday stretch. Wanted to see Kate Cunningham. He ended up losing um, to Oregon State, who I can't even say they played that well the second half. The funniest thing about this game, I think it started at 6.40. It was almost a three-hour game. We thought, oh, it'll be great. We'll bang it out. And and I forgot there's just 10 million timeouts. And now by the time we finish, it's going to be 11 o'clock. Give me uh, give me your top three takeaways from March Madness this weekend. A lot of theories out there. Um, a lot of the upsets weren't mistakes. Like Loyola beating Illinois. They, they just run great stuff. And Illinois had a hard time staying with them. And they seem to get clean looks all the time. Uh, and Illinois was one of my favorite teams. You know, I, I love them. I thought they had size. And Io is, is this kind of do-everything guy that's going to be a first-round pick. But 
beat them. Um, Oral Roberts beating Ohio State and then beating Florida again today. Like, that wasn't a mistake. Um, there's a lot of these. Every seed, 1 through 15, has won a game in the first weekend. The only seed that hasn't won a game is the 16 seed. So we can talk about, you know, the uniqueness of the season. And, you know, Big Ten fans are like, hey, look, we were there a week ahead of time. But, you know, if the Big Ten had had a good opening weekend, they would have said, hey, they were acclimated. They were used to Indy. It was a huge advantage. So, you know, you could talk about also no home court with the potting system and fans and all that. I, I don't know. Last year, here's a theory I have. I'm not even sure it's right, Bill. Last year, we had unprecedented like turnover with ranked teams losing to unranked teams all season. And I don't know if it's a continuation of some of these teams where, you know, the top just isn't that good or they can get Zag and Baylor. And, you know, these other teams that aren't power fives are just ready to go. So a lot of these upsets didn't feel like weird mistakes. Do you think it's a little bit like the NBA bubble where it just almost didn't seem like home court advantage mattered for those two and a half months because the fans, the atmosphere is a little strange and it in a weird way levels it out. Cause I personally think a 15 seed beating a two and a seven in a span of 48 hours is pretty weird. I'm not sure that happens in a normal tournament, but I think this has been a pretty abnormal season. A lot of people were predicting that be a ton of upsets, hold on to your seats. God only knows what's going to happen. You look at where we are now and it, and it was about as weird as it gets. It might be, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, I'm open to anything on this one. It's just whenever we were talking about the bubble, you know, on the East side, it was like, Hey, look at Miami. You know, is it, the, is that because of the bubble or is it because Milwaukee's really easy to defend? So if it's because mm. of the bubble, then people should get off Bud's case, which I don't think is going to happen, even though Milwaukee's figured it out. And I know we're going to get to all the NBA stuff here a little bit later. And then on the West side, you know, talking conferences here, if, if it were just bubble related, then should have somebody beaten the Lakers, you know? So uh, well, Denver I, I just, beating the Clippers is pretty weird. Yeah, but they were still up 3-1, you know? Yeah. So, I, I, again, I could be... I'm just saying I don't know. I'm saying yeah. basically for anybody that says definitively, okay, it is the bubble, it's because they're in Indy, it's because of all these different things, I just saw some teams that looked better. I mean, the, the, the nine seed for Loyola against Illinois, I guess Ken Palm's overall ranking had Loyola ninth. And they were right. a nine seed. So, and when you watch them play, and again, you know, I'll, if you have the guy who does rankings perfectly, I'll be over here waiting in the corner. But that seems absurd. But then when you watch them play, you go, how the hell is that team a nine seed? I knew Illinois was done when Sal picked them to win the tournament. That was it. <laughs> Kiss of death. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Cade Cunningham. Because you and I have been texting about him a lot. And I've now watched uh, multiple games from him. And Give me how many games? Is that two? Eh, like three and a half. Okay. <laughs> but then but then pieces of other games. But really like sat down and watched. And he reminds me a lot of Sean Livingston, which I'm not the first person to say that because he's got same kind of six eight lanky. He's a little thicker than Sean was, but same head's always up, ball's always moving, he's always pushing it. I think Sean might have been a, a slightly better passer before he got hurt, but Cade's a way, way, way better shooter. But he's got that same little pull-up, six foot eight, shoots over the smaller guy thing at the foul line that Livingston always had. He used to like sidearm it. Um, but Cade's a, a fantastic shooter. I think they, when I see like people talking about how he's a guaranteed franchise offensive player, my fear watching him is he's always in kind of third, somewhere between third and fourth gear but doesn't have that one super explosive thing that I, I really feel like you need in the NBA. But, but now you would say, all right, Luca, 
Luca plays at his pace. We've talked about that a lot, right? Where Luca's does it, he's he doesn't want need to blow by you. He's always going to get to where he wants to go, and that would be the argument for Cade. Two three years from now, he's going to be a guy who just gets to his spots. But the guy I'm watching in these games, and the guy I watched tonight still can't totally get to wherever he wants to go. And I think if you're a slam dunk, you can't miss. You are a franchise offensive player. To me, it's like, can I get to whatever spot I want? I'm not sure I 100% see that with him. What I do see is somebody who I think is going to be an unbelievable shooter. And maybe that will be his calling card. But what do you see? We've never really talked about it on the pod. No, I still, you know, most of my draft stuff I do you know, the two months leading up just because of the way the schedule works. So I, I always feel a little limited talking about any of the guys um, before I've done all that work. But, you know, I've watched probably six games now. Um, he's more, he's a better shooter than Sean. You're right. Sean was a better athlete. I mean, athlete-wise, you know, Cade is, it's not the first thing you see with him. I'm not saying he's a bad athlete, right. but Sean was pretty special for that kind of size. The biggest thing with him is just the moment um, he seems to be completely in control for somebody this young. And if you watch him in the Baylor game in that second half, he just is kind of taken over. And you saw glimpses of him going, all right, here we go. And you could see they came out, he hit some big shots, but they were playing zone in some of those possessions. And then if he had the ball on any screen action, they kept two with him. And he's actually not going to Anthony Edwards you. He's just going to go, okay, this is how you're doing it. I'm going to swing it over to you. And then he had a couple guards miss every three there at the end of the game anyway. So, and he got frozen out by uh, by that point guard, the other yeah, guard on his team. Yeah. That guy was just like, I got this. I had a, a front office this week because I was doing something on my pod that I haven't done yet. I was like, just give me your top five in order to see how much variation there is. And so far, no team has, has had anybody ahead of Cade. There's only one team that was like, look, I kind of like Suggs a little bit more. But I had another mm. team that was very specific about Cade and said, look, I think it's Cade in his own tier and then it's the next guys. And then after five, it's all over the place. And the guy said this week to me, it was a great line. He goes, you know, I don't even worry about Cade in the first half. He goes, when we're talking about him in the room, it is always what this guy is doing in the second half. So if you're telling me like you feel like he's coasting a bit in the first half, I'd tell you an NBA team agrees with you that he's coasting a bit, but he's still one player of the year. Um, and, and what I saw from him with the way they were defending him He's going to defer at times, and it's going to look like he's passive because he's like, look, I'm not just going to force it against these two guys because we're a good team this year and made it to the Big 12 final, and you know, I'm going to trust some of you other guys, and, and it didn't quite happen for him. But the shooting and his vision and his passing and his comfort and his poise and all those things, there's just so much more positive. I even had a text from a coach in a tournament who saw my tweet about him saying he's the best player I've gone up against in five years. Wow. So, yeah, I... Th the thing I do like about him is he, you know, we're in this NBA now in 2021 where every, every team has at least one guy who's like, it's time for me to assert myself. It's my time. Clear out. Here we go. He just seems like somebody who he, like he really didn't care when that other guy was freezing about as their whole season was on the line. He was just like, all right, he, there was, they, they cut to him in the huddle. He's pulling everyone together. Like to, keep it going. He wasn't like making a stink eye in him doing the Brandon Ingram Zion, like, you know, clear out of the way. This is my team now. None of that stuff. Um, which I like, there's an unselfishness to him. I guess my question is if I'm building an offense around his skills and I don't have a lot of other good players in that team, which is always the case when you get, get drafted by these crappy teams, right? Is this a guy when you think about these other offenses that we have, these top 10 offenses where they have these, 
you know, there's Dame and Luca and Jokic and people like that. Is that a guy who can get to that level? Because the stuff I'm reading, it's like they're making it seem like he's going to get to that level. And I'm not saying he can't. I just don't 100% see it yet. I want to see him more. Yeah, but whenever we're talking about somebody at the, the top, other than last year, it's usually, you know, I always kind of look at it like when a guy gets drafted, it'll go fourth and be like, this guy can make a multiple all-star teams. You're like, well, if he's going to make multiple, he probably should have gone one. You right. know, we, we, we tend to overrate everybody in the draft in a way. So, you know, well, this Cade's guy been, they were saying would have been number one last year in, if yeah. he had been coming out of high school. So, I mean, there, there's some real pedigree with him. And I, I guess that's my point. I'm, I, I see 85% of it. There we go with the percentages. <laughs> but I'm, I'm 15% not totally there yet because I don't see that, that kick-ass, you know, and John, ja, granted, John's ja been way up and down this year, but John and Dame and these people that can just blow by people and get to their spots. I, that's the one thing I don't totally see with him yet. In the NBA with his vision and his handle and being able to pass over the top guy, I mean, that was the that was the positive with Melo going, you know, if he figures it out at 6'8 and the handle. And the thing that I underestimated with Melo, too, is that when he decides he's going, if you're not ready, it's over. It's over. His his just speed. I'm not saying, you know, he's the fastest guy in the league, but his zero to whatever his acceleration is ridiculous. And then that size, and like he's just a special kind of generational passer that we're seeing. Um, so I'm not saying Cade necessarily has those passing chops, but with the spacing and the shooting that he's going to be surrounded and considering basically every team runs like, I don't know if it's 75%, that's low for some teams, high pick and roll. Just high pick and roll, bring it out. He's going to beat you if you switch it. And then he's just going to be kicking it out to guys all the time. So, I mean, look, Luca is so special because his hips in his shoulders and he's still somehow compact with his dribble, you know, like big guys that can dribble through traffic like that are pretty rare. And, you know, even some of the knocks on, yeah, right. And even some of the knocks on Harden out of Arizona state, you're like, okay, I kind of see it, but man, he's a little slow. He's lit. And then you realize like, wait, he's a six eleven wingspan and he's just way smarter and he sees the game better than everybody else. So, uh, I can understand some reservations when it looks like he's deferring, but he's doing little things in there. Like there was a, there was two plays tonight, and I'll, I'll wrap this Cade part up. He saw the double was coming. He was getting doubled like crazy off the off the screen, and they'd stay with him. And he was like, "All right, enough of this." And then he turned down the screen before it even really been set up, and then cut and got to the elbow and missed the jumper. And then he had another play where he got doubled to the left side in the second half, and he had a player that was too close to the screeners as he saw what was about to happen, and he just waved him, not off where he wanted ISO. He wanted him to get further away from him so that when he passed it to him, he'd have a better angle set up further from the help. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, he saw that as a freshman going, no, 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 catch this further from me, and you're going to have a better angle. And I think that's just really special stuff you don't see in college. Yeah, you know, you mentioned LaMelo. The thing that's been shocking to me, and that he got hurt, and we're going to talk about that later. It looks like he might be out for the year was how easily he was getting by people and getting to the rim. That was the thing. I don't know. It was just hard to tell from a year of New Zealand YouTube clips <laughs> that he would have this ability to beat people off the dribble and, you know, take Miles Turner and do some sort of one-handed twisting layup and just get whatever shot he wants. The thing with Cade, you know, I was, I was trying to think like, all right, what's the best case scenario here? And the vision stuff and how funny it is to play with, that was one piece. But it was the shooting that I kept coming back to, where it's like, this guy's 6'8". Most of the time, he's going to be guarded by somebody smaller than him. 
And it looks like he has a chance to be like a 45% three-point shooter in the pros. He's 40 now. <laughs> yeah. With his stroke and just how easy it is. And it's like, if he's open, you feel like it's going in. And I think that maybe that's, maybe that's the thing that I need to wrap my head around. Is this like, could this guy be like a Dame type of three-point shooter? You know, but but six eight. Yeah, I would I would watch the second half of the Baylor game. I'd watch. The I watched Oklahoma it. Game. You, you told me to watch that one. I watched it. Okay, but are you are you impressive. noticing the the moment for this guy? Like, there's something there. There is an it factor with him, where you know, look, <laughs> except you, one, for today. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't that or the Liberty game? I mean, yeah. look if if you've only watched Cade in the tournament, you're, yeah, you're going, going hmm. you're like, wait a minute, what? And you know, give me Suggs from Gonzaga who. I think when he's great, it seems more aggressive. And we like guys that are aggressive. Like that Mitchell kid with Baylor, you know, I've been watching him going, man, he, he's got some shit to his game. You know, Where when I watch Mobley at USC, the seven-footer who could go two in this draft, and you realize why he would go two, but there's some passiveness there, you know? So I wouldn't ever want to be in a habit of, but you just can't help but notice, like, who's, who's fucking pissed off out there? And you're not yeah. seeing that from Cade, and I understand. I just think the rest of the stuff is, I don't need you to be mad. I think there's also, you have a little Shamit face theory with him, too. Is that fair, or is that done uh, now? It's like 20% Shamit face. I think what I, you have is more aware Michael Beasley face. No, him. you know what I like? You know what I like about Cade? <laughs> uh, he's one of those guys, when they tell the anecdotes, the announcers, or the magazine feature, everyone talks about, like, his presence. And what it's like and and just there there's something how locked in he is and how competitive he is. And you you read enough of those little tidbits and usually those are accurate. And they don't happen often. People don't go out of their way to be like, hey, this guy's different. Here's the story. And it does seem like he has that. Can we play a little game called what team would be the most team most fun team for Kate Cunningham to go to? With his um, specific skill set? Yeah. Okay. Not Dallas. Here are the candidates. <laughs> Not Dallas. No, no. These are the realistic teams. <laughs> I, know, I know. So I'll give you the bottom four in each, in each conference. Cavs. That wouldn't be that fun. Wizards. No, I I'd feel I bad for him. Yeah, yeah, I'd feel bad for him that one. Orlando. That could be good. Imagine Orlando staff. They'd be like, "Wait, we got a tall guy that can shoot." <laughs> wait, wait, we've we've done this wait. three times. This guy could actually make these. Um, and look, I'm not Vooch can shoot, but Vooch is a center. I meant like no, I'm these perimeter the guys. Team. Yeah, these perimeter guys that are tall as hell. Well, um, and then the other one's Detroit, who has nobody. So Orlando would be the most fun out of the out of the and the Bulls as a wild card would be probably the highest upside fun, but that that they would have to get really lucky. Other side, Oklahoma City, Sacramento, Sacramento. I mean, I, I, I don't know what they would do if, if they'd obviously have to take him. Maybe you start shopping somebody. Houston, I think would be the worst case scenario because they don't really have anybody. And then I was thinking Minnesota with how Edwards has looked the last couple of weeks in towns. And it's like, it, you know, they'd have to basically figure out what they ought to do with Russell. But Minnesota, I think would be the most fun West team. It would. And I, I feel, Great for Minnesota fans that Edwards, at least through this stretch, you go, okay, we, we have something here. Um, he can't shoot it. <laughs> it's, it's, they go in sometimes. And we knew out of Georgia, his shot selection, you're like, whoa, okay. You're pulling it from there. And I think he's mm. dipped back down to like 30, which is crazy because he was, he was actually below 30% of Georgia on like eight or nine attempts a game. I mean, he didn't care. But 
once he gets to the hoop, like he's big and quick enough. So there's something there, but he, he's going for it. You know, he had 40 the other night against Phoenix, but I think he took 30 shots. Like he, he is lighting it up, which I kind of can't wait to see what happens. D'Angelo Russell comes back yeah. because then Russell's going to be. So then when you throw Kate into that, I don't know, man, I don't because I just do, like Edwards is a ball initiating player. Russell is that in the worst version of it. Um, you know, D'Angelo stuff is, is, is pretty telling. I, I would almost like, what would you do? Tell those guys, Hey, you're playing off of him. You'd have to, but then I don't know. Like Edwards maybe is a cutter. It would be sick, but I, I don't think Edwards is in a hurry to start going to like 14, 15 shots a game. Even though again, this month is a positive because at least, you know, there's some stuff there that's really special with him. I guess the dream scenario would be new Orleans. Yeah, but and then we keep, wouldn't get to see point Zion anymore. Yeah, but that I think he's a little Halliburton-y where he doesn't necessarily need to have the ball all the time, you know? He's not one of those I have to I have to dribble the ball 16 seconds per possession guys. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's fair. Um you, you know the Edwards thing. You're right. He's going for it. And now that LaMelo's out, He's going to be really going for it because the rookie of the year is not like inconceivable that he can't steal this now. It would be really hard for LaMelo to win playing only 40 games. The thing with Edwards, athletically, he does some stuff where it's like if you're just rating guys one to 10, just like pure athleticism, he's got to be at least like a 9.2, 9.3, right? It, there's just some stuff he can do physically that is elite, 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 like super elite. Ridiculous elite. And that's why we, even when he was terrible in the beginning of the year, there would be these plays and you would get, get forwarded this clip of like, watch him just go flying by this guy and dunking over two guys in the baseline. You'd be like, all right, there's, this guy's not a bust. This is not Anthony Bennett. There's something here. And now it seems like he's finally putting it together, which is nice. I'll tell you too. I don't know if you've noticed this. When they beat, like I figured they'd lose to Phoenix in the rematch. I have this theory about the team that loses in the, the first game. Yeah. The split coming back. Although the Pacers got both against Miami. It's watching that one today. But they beat Phoenix. They straight up beat them um, earlier this week. And that's when, when Edwards went nuts. And we used to talk about Towns as like easily all first team miserable. And he doesn't look... He looks like he's at least enjoying... I'm not telling you Minnesota's figured it all out and they're awesome because they're, they're still... Um, pretty bad defensively, and they've been bad again this month. But just seeing Towns not miserable the whole game is is great because right. he's you know look Towns has his limitations too, but he's still a terrific player and he's still really young. And I think you'd always worry about that if you're a Timberwolves fan with it. But he just looks a little bit happier. But I'm really worried about what the D'Angelo Russell return will look like for Edwards and all those guys because if Russell just thinks he's going to go ISO the whole time, which is basically what he's been then it it just sucks to play with, you know? Remember when we liked that Russell trade for the Warriors and people gave us shit? Well, we, we liked it because the they Warriors? were... No, nah, we... Look, they salvaged the asset. That, that was it. I just like the pick. And if Wiggins could end up being close to a wash with Russell, that was the bonus. And now a year later, especially if they got the Cade Cunningham pick... And Russell would have to be somebody they'd now have to shop or turn into a six man. That would be unbelievable. You're losing a pick and you have a guy who you kind of don't even know if he fits your future and all that stuff would be ridiculous. Do you think have how, a, go real quick though? Think how quick that that's a great example of also the Chris Paul Westbrook trade where the market 
said you had to include a pick that's that's only top three protected this year to move Wiggins mm. to get Russell. And now if you just went around and said, who would you rather have Wiggins or Russell? I think you'd rather have Wiggins. Like he's he's revived 100%. himself here uh, yeah. in Golden State. He's not he's not going to be super. He's not going to be what you'd hope, you know, early on. But he's definitely better. I think he's played better basketball and more engaged basketball during this stretch. So that's an example of of not even, I don't know, a year later, you're going, look at how much the market has changed. And the Chris Paul Westbrook one's perfect. Like you got to throw in all this stuff to take on Chris Paul. And then a year later, the only guy you could trade Westbrook for was John Wall. Yeah, but look at both of those trades. You have terrible front office slash owners making trades for wrong reasons, right? Houston's making that Westbrook trade because for whatever Harden. reason, the, well, the owners have Westbrook, decided right? we need to listen to Harden. This is what Harden mm-hmm. wants. That's not a good reason for a trade. You should never listen to a player on a major move where you're giving him picks. Minnesota, it was, hey, Towns and Russell are buddies. We got to we yeah. gotta keep Towns happy. So you just signed Towns. You have Towns for four more years. You have to sacrifice picks now. You don't make them happy winning. Uh, but we were wondering if Towns would set the record for longest time left on his contract to ask for a trade. To edge out. Because well, I might. can't wait for somebody to have three plus. Go, it I'm could be him. Steven Jackson kind of already has that award. Yeah, could be him. Uh, we're going to take a break. Come right back. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like McLeod Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLeodUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. This episode is brought to you by McLeod Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. I love the NBA. When game day comes around, win or lose, this is the beer you want. Michelob Ultra, my go-to right now because I'm a light beer guy. Sorry, hate to break it to you. You know, I'll mess around with some other ones, but for the most part, really ever since college, I've been a light beer guy. Michelob Ultra, not only does it taste great, 95 calories, crisp and refreshing. Put it in your fridge. Watch how people just grab it. All of a sudden, they're gone. I also like McLeod Ultra because they're getting fans closer to the game right now than ever before with exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like signed memorabilia and courtside seats. Enter for your chance to win at McLeodUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. So I was in Vegas for 24 hours this weekend. Party bill. Oh, no. It was the complete opposite. I was with my daughter. She had a soccer game. Oh. And... We went to the strip because we were there and we were in Henderson. And I was like, we got to go to the strip. Let's just go. We'll go, go get dinner. She'd never been. Go oh, down. She's never there. been? She'd never been in the strip. What was so your reaction got, driving down the street and seeing it? I, I was, it's so funny explaining the casinos where you don't realize you're like, so that casino, they're trying to pretend they're Paris. So if you go in, it's like being in Paris. In that casino, the Venetian, it's like being in Italy. 
And then this one over there, the the uh, the Luxor, they think they're an Egyptian pyramid. And you, and you realize like just kind of how dopey the whole concept of of the strip is, where each casino has to have their theme. But what was really crazy was it was like seven o'clock on a Saturday, and the strip there's like you know barely any cars on it, and there are people like you could see people. There were more people than I thought. Most of them had masks on, but you think like March Madness weekend, the the all time craziest weekend to go to to Vegas, other than maybe the Super Bowl. I, I still think March Madness is crazier. And, uh, and you could drive up and down the strip if you wanted. So it was a little, it w- w- wasn't exactly the first impression of, uh, of Vegas. I would have wanted for my daughter, but she could still see how crazy we, we walked the strip. We actually walked to Paris. You, you'll be happy to know people are still smoking cigs in the casino. That's and good. Playing, yeah. playing uh slot machine. So, uh, the same degenerate factor is, is still there, but yeah, it was a little bittersweet Vegas, March madness, but not really. This might not be popular, but sometimes I have this odd respect for people still smoking publicly where yeah. at ESPN, the guys that would be just outside huddled in the winter <laughs> the lobby. by the, the, no, there'd be like a little smoking <laughs> section between one building and then the entrance to radio. Yeah. And there'd just be a guy out there just shivering, firing one away. And I would just kind of nod my head being like, you know, dying breed. And then the Deportes, <laughs> guys, yeah, the Deportes guys, because we all realize if you're international, smoking's not bad for you. Yeah. And those guys would just be out there firing away, talking about stuff. And it, I was always like, this is amazing. The greatest was when it would be on the East Coast when it's like nine degrees outside and the person's taking the three minutes to put their jacket on so they can take the elevator downstairs. That's another two minutes to get outside to fire up a stick. And then girls, and, girls in dresses and they're not dressed <laughs> properly anyway. You're out in Beacon Hill and then they're like, dude, you should be like, all right, let's get a couple parliaments and uh, like, yeah. go, go to the amendment. Unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, the smoking is uh, is back in Vegas, but it was it was weird to be there. Uh, let's talk about we, we're done with March Madness, right? I mean, they're they're playing more games tomorrow. It's going to be. Yeah, it's I'm good. Just a crap shoot. I didn't even enter a pool this year. It's like, what's the point? Zero. You didn't do no one pools. bracket. Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to win anything. I'm just done. I was like, I'm not even going to spend the time filling it out. Let's uh, let's talk about LeBron. LeBron had a really bad sprained ankle, and even though he's a superhuman maniac, even he, I don't think, is immune to a high sprained ankle. We have not seen people come back from this injury in what two and a half weeks, three weeks. It's pretty hard. Even it's bad him. too. It looked bad. Like you can see where it turns high and um, he's always one when he's hurt, like he's going to let you know he's dinged up, but this was ex- excessive. And then he even, then he hit a three or something afterwards too. And then it was like, all right, I'm out of here. Uh, you know, they're not playing for seating. The Davis thing is still, uh, you know, the timeline in that felt like it was just going on forever. And the crazy thing, I found a number, I don't know what it was this week, but it was most shots attempted with four seconds or left at the shot clock. And LeBron had the most. And he actually still had like a really good shooting percentage from both distances. Where did and you I was like, find that? Um, was that I've on got a, a website? Yeah, I've got a program to sort through this stuff. Oh, man. Because I always felt like... I don't think it's that hard. That one might be an NBA and then the advanced stuff. That, that one I might be able to just send you a link to. I don't think that's a subscription one. I always felt like that uh, should be factored into people's percentages and stuff so you figure if you take a hundred shots and you're somebody like lebron at least 
nine of the hundred are terrible shots with two seconds left in the shot clock because you're the only guy on your team who can have the ball, right? And there was a stretch like, for the Lakers. I think he was taking nine of those a game. And yeah, I, I mean, it was just unbelievable. They were handing it off to him and he still was hitting them. So go ahead. Back to your original point. Well, you know, I mean, because we're, and look, we're guilty of this too on this podcast. We love talking about the MVP. It's always fun. LeBron gets hurt and almost the narrative immediately switches to is Jokic the MVP and, the, and everybody has a MVP conversation, which by the way, we're going to have in about five minutes. But I, I defaulted in my head to like, could they fall to a six seed? And if they fell to a six seed, what could that mean? So right now, Utah's 30 and 11, Phoenix 28 and 13, Lakers 28 and 15, Clips 27 and 16, and then Portland and Denver, both 25 and 17. So it's really like if it's a three-week tailspin and they don't do well, they could fall to a six seed. And, you know, I, I think the deck was stacked against them anyway with the with this season being so close to the bubble playoffs last year and how hard that was and everything. But if they don't have home court in any of these rounds during a playoffs, when I think we're going to have fans and LeBron, you know, he pretty famously said how he won the two toughest titles ever. I would argue if you're going to not have home court in any round, when we actually have fans, that would be just as tough, if not tougher than the two that he said were the toughest ever. Yeah, and it also feels like with Phoenix being better and Utah, despite their, you know, odd stretch here again, and you can't tell. Like, you don't know if every really good team other than those Warriors teams, um, you know, they, them losing three in a row was unheard of. But, you know, Utah having a bad 10-game stretch is not that weird. Uh, the Lakers, almost none of it matters when I watched because I was just like, all right, fine, they can't shoot now. Like, they don't have Anthony Davis. These guys are coasting. It's still a better team on paper. The roles yeah. are more defined. Kuzma's clearly more comfortable. You know, the craziest thing about Rondo and watching him not be that great with Atlanta is like, I can't believe this guy was arguably like the third best offensive player for this Lakers team last year. I mean, he's hitting spot up, you know, wrote like swing the ball weak side, open threes. It's just Rondo was unbelievable in that play. Oh, Rondo. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, I'm I'm with you that it I mean I guess there's some level that I have to find concern for but I'm just I'm just not going to I mean even if they're the sixth seed I don't know if I'll be picking against them because well, they the look terrible be in the bubble. If Dave, but if Davis isn't a hundred percent, sure, fine, okay. But I'm just I'm going by if those guys are ready and it looks pretty good the last couple of weeks and they roll in, they can be a sixth seed and I'm probably still going to pick them unless Utah, you know, gets back to what I what I thought. You know they were, but I'm, I'm not going to get down on them because of some of the stuff that's been a little loose for them lately. At some point, we're going to have to have a Phoenix conversation because I think tonight's a good example. They're playing the Lakers tonight. It's a game a good team should win. It's a game the Celtics absolutely would have lost. Be like, oh, easy one. No LeBron, no Davis. We got this. Wait, why are we down 12 in the second quarter? And you just, you turn on the game and Phoenix is up 15 and it's like, yeah, that this is a team that knows what it's doing. It feels like they're getting better. I really wonder if they're if they even need to make a trade deadline move, my guess is they'll probably roll with what they have. But um, when you look at the six, and I think Dallas is coming finally. You could see it tonight. Like they demolished Portland tonight, but they've they've had their best five now for a couple weeks. I don't know what they'll do. They have the James Johnson contract. They'll definitely do something. But they have their five, and Luca looks like he's the Luca from you know, six, eight months ago. He's in shape, I guess would be the best way to say it. But so I think you have seven good teams in the West. And I think everybody's probably relieved if you're in the playoffs that New Orleans just cannot get their shit together 
because Zion's incredible. Nobody wants to see that dude in a playoff series, but they're probably not going to have to worry about it. Yeah, the other thing too, Luca goes from 33, 32 to now 36% from three, which you can clearly tell with him. It's just, he just is more comfortable. It's more of a weapon for him. And, you know, it's just the great ones find ways to adjust the way they're being defended. And you knew he was always, like there's some guys who say, oh, you know, he'll figure it, he'll figure it out. I think we say that about way too many players with who can't shoot. Like, yeah, there's just sometimes just never quite figure it out, but the special ones seem to find a way. And you're right. Dallas being Dallas outside is like and getting up six and right. a half. Yeah. yeah get, six, getting, we have six and a half play six and a half contenders in the West. They're the half, but they'll be there. So you um, wait, you, you're strong enough on Dallas that you would see them coming out of the West. No, I'm saying we have six and a half contenders. Okay. I think we have six. And then I think they're the half because I think in any series, I could see them just getting hot and winning four games somehow. Day makes me hesitate for, but they're just so bad on defense when they need to be better. Yeah. That, you know, they just are never healthy either, you know? So I did some LeBron research this morning as I sat in a hotel room uh, with my snoring daughter. LeBron (laughs) had the groin injury in 2019. He had the ankle sprain in, in, uh, in this weekend. And then he had that weird thing, his first Cleveland season when he came back in 14, 15, when he took the two weeks off, but he wasn't really injured. It was like a fatigue injury, whatever was going on there. But was that supposedly there, his back though? Wasn't his back it was like, like a, a little back, but it was almost like he needed a vacation. Um, the numbers. So I didn't realize this. He was 61 minutes away from 50,000 regular season minutes. He's at 49, nine thirty nine, and he played 10,811 playoff minutes which puts him in the 60K minute club, which is him and Kareem and Carl Malone. And that's it. He's played 17 years. He's only missed 10% of a season twice in 2015 and 2019. Every other season, he played 90% of the games. Uh, 1,306 regular season games, 21st. 260 playoff games, first. There's only six 50K regular season minute guys ever. He's one of the, he's going to be one of the, the seventh when it happens, when he gets the extra 61 minutes. There's only been eight 7,500 playoff minutes guys. He's the only one who's gotten the 10,000. Um, where it really gets crazy if you start comparing him to his peers. So he's at, he's at uh, just about 50. Carmelo's played 41,000 minutes regular season. Iguodala's played 38. Dwight Howard's played 38. CP3's played 37. And LaMarcus Aldridge has played 35. So he's played basically 20% more regular season minutes than anyone who's currently in the league. And then if you compare him to like, you know, the playoff minutes, KD played 55, 98 playoff minutes. So he's played almost 5,000 more than that. Iguodala's played 5,134 playoff minutes. He's played double that, basically. Those are the only people in his class there. The durability, I think, is the thing 100 years from now that people are going to be drawn to when they look at his basketball reference page over everything else, over the titles, over the MVPs, stuff like that. And it's gotten to the point that when he gets hurt, it's legitimately shocking. Like In that play yesterday, we how many times do we see that play in basketball where... The guy's jumping for the loose ball. And as he's doing, you're going, oh, God, no, don't blow out his ACL. Like, it feels like it could happen 100 times. And with LeBron, he has just always been able to dodge plays like this. This was the one time he didn't. But it got me thinking, like, 
goddamn, it it shouldn't be like shocking when somebody sprains their ankle. He's he's like the most shocking injury guy I've ever I've ever followed in sports, where he just seems indestructible. Anyway, we've made these points before, but um, I just wonder if this is some sort of moment we'll look back at, where he's seventeen years in. Now he's he's logged a shitload of minutes. Now he's got a bad wheel. And is this something where the building starts to tilt a little bit, you know, where it's like the infrastructure gets finally a little bit shaken. It's going to be really hard for him the next couple of years is my point. He's got, he's already has an insane amount of miles on it. Yeah. But wouldn't you have, and look, all of this, this isn't a counterpoint to any of it, but don't you feel like with him, you just give up, like you give up trying to give up, make sense. This, yeah. Because it doesn't make any sense that from that draft class, this guy, like, has anyone ever been drafted where, what are we talking, 18 years since he was drafted? 2103. Yeah. yeah. Be 18 years this June. Right. And he's like, who's ever arguing anybody's better than him right now? Has any player ever, and we'd have to go back and look it up, but I can't fathom there's any player that's ever been drafted. And then 18 years later, if you were to say somebody else is better than him, you'd be wrong. And we've done it. You know, Curry's had better seasons. I think even the strongest Curry fan has to realize there's stuff LeBron can do that, Le- that Curry just can't do in a playoff game. All right. Um, Kawhi, I know I flirted with, like, look at Pete Kawhi here, man. It's unbelievable. And Durant, then you're Durant's like, all right, one. Durant, unfortunately, gets overlooked a little too quickly because it was like a, a short peak where he thought maybe he was going to get the throne, and then he didn't. I think Giannis has had moments where we're like, hey, it's just Shaq, but he's more mobile. But with the playoff exits, nobody's going to do that anymore. So here we are in 21, where I don't think there's a great argument for anyone being better than he is. And the fact when he's had subpar regular seasons and behind other individual players, and then it comes playoff time, you're like, yep, he's still the best. I don't know that we're ever going to see anyone. I don't know that we've seen anyone or we'll ever see anyone 18 years later be the undisputed king of his league. Imagine if I came on... Did you have a show in 2003 where we were, in the, we were on the, the zone at that point? Yeah, you came on the zone. No, but if I came on the zone after that draft, and I was like, here's a prediction. 18 <laughs> years from now, LeBron will have played 50,000 minutes and 11,000 playoff minutes, and he'll still be in the MVP conversation. Mark my words. You've been like, what? What would be, like, what would be more unbelievable than that? Like, of, of somebody being drafted number one. I mean, if you had said, hey, Tiger's going to, challenge Jack Majors, that's more believable as he became right. a professional golfer. Um, no, I, no one would have believed you. And it's absurd to even think of it now. And that's why I, there are just moments where I try to remind myself that, you know how weird it's going to be when he actually looks like he sucks? <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you know well, how wonder- weird that's going to be when you're like, oh man, he's not moving. It was supposed to already happen. It was supposed to already happen. And at the times where there were little warnings where it felt like his game was morphing in ways, you're like, oh, there's a decline there. Oh, look, free throw attempts or, re-, you know, some of this stuff. Oh, he's outside. No, he was just dictating the terms of the way he wanted to win games. That was it. And even this sprain was just an accident. It wasn't anything. It, you know, I, I don't think it was related to any minutes or anything like that. When you see physically how his leg turns, you're like, ah, oh, that's that high one. He's, he's That's going to hurt for a while. But the out of those 60,000 minutes, you think, you should have like seven, eight of those complete scare, fluky scare things, right? Just dumb plays where you're landing on a dunk and somebody's foot's underneath. Do you think the fact that he's been able to avoid those, the other guy who was always able to avoid those was Carl Malone, who didn't really get hurt to that final Lakers season. And then the third one was Kareem, who's in that minutes club, but 
Kareem never had that one year where it's like he broke his hand punching Kent Benson. That's the only time he missed a significant amount of time. And you think like, all right, what do those three guys have in common other than they're physical freaks? They, you know, spend an insane amount of time taking care of their bodies. Kareem was doing all that yoga shit and he was, people thought he was like a, a crazy person. You know, he was doing stuff in the early 80s. People were like, what is this guy doing? Well, martial is arts he, in the 70s. Yeah, you know, he doing hooked martial up with Bruce arts Lee. and yoga? Is he, yeah. is he nuts? And then Carl Malone was like really the first weight training guy who kind of resembles what the modern guys are like. So my guess is like, you must, when you turn your body into a machine like that, you can almost absorb injuries like you're like a Marvel superhero. So I'll be right. I can't wait to see how long it takes him to come back from this. Because they this is a four a four or five week injury, right? How long was John Moran out? John Moran had the same injury. He was out like five weeks. Yeah, he was out for a while. And he really hasn't been the same since he came back. Even though even those back-to-back Warrior games, like he's five I don't know. for 20 I, yeah, on Saturday night. I'm not gonna make a prediction. I'm never gonna doubt the guy. And you know, there might be a matchup come playoff time where I go, all right, maybe I like somebody a little bit better. But you know, after what that guy did last year and how good he's looked and the fact that he's played this many minutes again. You know, remember when we were doing the over-unders, I was like, ah, they'll coast. They want it. They'll coast. And this guy's not coasting. He's no. just not. He's not. I think he wants the MVP. I think he wants one more. I think he's pissed because in the past it was like, oh, I don't play 82 games. That's why I can't win the MVP. When we've gone over the individual seasons and, you know, it's, I don't think he has the argument. Maybe he thinks he does, or at least Kuzma <laughs> thinks he does. But I felt like that's kind of what this year was, was gearing up for. And it also gets back to your MVP thing, because now with this injury and the Embiid injury, um, Joker's in it. But Harden's going to be back in it, which seemed impossible when you start thinking about voter storyline stuff. You're like, all right, after these playoff things, like nobody's going to want to vote for this guy again, even if he's the leading scorer in the league. But then it's a new scene, and Brooklyn's rolling, and, and Harden's crushing it, which is still weird without Durant. It feels like they're just doing a Houston thing for the most part. They're just they're just running. But everybody seems to like it more now in Brooklyn. If I'm a Rockets fan, I'm like, wait, you guys shit on us for years, and now you like it? Like, what are you <laughs> talking about? Uh, but <laughs> it is I think, true. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's it's actually, you know, shout out to the Rockets fans that love me so much, but I'd, I'd be kind of annoyed that you're like, wait, you guys are embracing this now? Like, what, what are you guys talking about? Um, but Lillard has to be brought up. Lillard has to be brought up, especially where the odds were, I saw recently, because he's, that team doesn't play defense, and his jab step back three, Bill, I think it's the most lethal individual, like, shot move in the league. It's quick, it's compact, the ball is out, it's not some massive jumping backwards travel like some other guy. It's just a quick jab at you, and then he just gets just enough space, and it's up and over in you, and he's pissed off at everybody. And I, I think, you know, whatever this conversation means, hey, how come we're not talking about this guy, which can be annoying because you're like, all right, fine. I talked about your guy who was going to lose the MVP. I think there's a real chance for somebody to steal this now. And I'm going to tell you who that person is right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. 
So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Duncan. I love Duncan. Duncan just dropped a new kind of energy. They call it sparked energy. I mean, they have peach sunshine. I'm a huge peach guy. Like peach with drinks, I feel like is one of the most underrated drink combo kind of starter things that we have. Well, in this case, these are delicious. They're packed with caffeine and vitamins and minerals that give me the energy I need to get through the day. And a medium is $3 now through March 19th. So drop by and get Sparked by Duncan. Sparked energy drinks are fruit flavored, contain 0% fruit juice. Beverages contain caffeine from caffeine and guarana. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Terms apply. All right. We're calling this MVP watch. I think part of the problem with this season is we've already anointed four MVPs and there's like 40% of the season left. You know who the MVP is right now? Nobody. And it's okay. Uh, we don't have to well, we don't have to do the thing like, you know, if if it ended right now, gun to your head, you'd say LeBron, but now he's gonna miss three weeks, and then you'd say, All right, maybe Jokic is gonna bit but it's okay that we don't have a favor yet. But I was thinking there have been a couple of years in history where kind of we just didn't have an MVP and then they had to vote for somebody. Right. That's how Bill Walton won that year when he broke his foot, where I think he played 58 games, something like that. And the other two, I'm doing this off the top of my head, the other two guys, I think, were Gervin and David Thompson. And it just, Walton, that was the most important team. They were like 50 and 10 when, when he played. And everybody was like, fuck it. Even though he missed uh, a third of the season or a fourth of the season, we're still voting for him. They voted for him. Iverson was the only other one since then who has missed at least 10% of the season and won the MVP. So, and he missed 11 games. So LeBron, now he's missed, today was the second game he missed. So he's basically missed two and a half. Um, shortened schedule. I think you probably have to play at least, I don't know, 50, 59, 60 games to be considered. And that, that's when, when you made that Dame point before, Dame's just been steady, right? That team's had been decimated by injuries. The McCollum thing, if anyone, like if the Celtics lost Jalen Brown for a month and a half, they'd I be I can't done. imagine be, how bad it would Oh look. my God, they'd be horrible. It doesn't look good now with him. Yeah. Um, and Dame's just been steady. So you're right. He should be in there. I have the odds. Jokic moved to uh, plus 110. They're 25 and 16. He hasn't missed a game this year. He's averaging 27, 11, and nine. I mean, he's having an awesome season. Embiid and LeBron are plus 550. Giannis, this is on FanDuel. Giannis is plus 750. Damon Harden are 11 to 1. And Luca's lurking at 18 to 1. So the, the, the funny thing is, if this season was just happening in a vacuum, we would say Giannis is the MVP right now with, if LeBron's going to be out for a couple weeks. But if, if you didn't know he won the last two and nobody wanted to vote for him again... <laughs> He's he's having the same year he had the other two years, and he's playing on one of the six best teams, and he hasn't missed a game. And Milwaukee's he's a good, better defensive player than right. Yeah, and he's Drew's, a better defensive Drew's player back. than everyone else. They're um, what are they? They're third. They're third or fourth in defense this month. Yeah, yeah. I know Giannis is saying everybody's overlooking us. It's like, yeah, man, that's what happens. It's like it was new, it was exciting, and and you guys didn't deliver, and now people are already sick of you before like. Really, they've only been around a couple of years uh, as far as like a legitimate playoff threat and people have already turned the page on him. So, you know, that's that's what happened. You're right. This year, if this were Giannis's first year like this 
And they were a 500 team before this. And he, you know, he was around 21 points a game and then was having this kind of year. And this was his breakout year. He'd win it. Yeah. He's not going to. He's not going to. And Jokic, who I would have thought, all right, Jokic, the door has been open. Destroyed New Orleans today. Do your thing. He had a good game. He was like 29, 10, and 10, but they lost to New Orleans. So he was awesome, like, though. He was, it's he like was awesome. Nobody today, can too. grab this MVP yeah. that LeBron has now dangled. So meanwhile, LeBron. He's going to be sleeping in his hyperbaric chamber. He's going to be doing cryotherapy. He'll be he'll be doing everything he can. He'll probably be back in like four days. And we'll be like, wow, that was dumb. And LeBron, you know, I felt like he was going to win before this happened. But it's been that kind of year. Sometimes it happens. I remember in 2011 when Rose won, we kind of didn't have an MVP that year. It was like neither of the Miami guys were going to win. Nobody was voting for LeBron and Wade. And the OKC guys weren't ready. And Dirk, eh. And he just, he went and it was like, all right, we got to vote for somebody. And then everybody talked themselves into Derek Rose, including myself. That's how it works. Yeah. And it was going to happen last year with LeBron. And then the season got shut down. I really think that, um, even though, you know, there was a couple metrics where Giannis was, was far ahead of LeBron. How about the zag though? How about some of the super supportive LeBron voters going, this Lakers team, look how bad their record is without him. I'm voting for him. <laughs> I do not diminish... Do not diminish the reach. All this has done is proven that this Lakers team wasn't as good as we thought. Yeah. You know who's you know, keeping them together? LeBron. Yeah. You know, in a year where there's not a real true number one, I'm going to give it to LeBron. <laughs> it's a career achievement award. Dude, by the way, this isn't, I bet he gets a couple of number one votes. Hey, if he comes back in 10 days, he's, I still think he's probably the favorite. I actually think the odds drop too low because high ankle sprain, people just assume that's five weeks, but they they forget who we're dealing with here. He will, whatever, if there's some sort of scientific thing for him to do that involves freezing the ankle and, you know, pouring oranges and the hemoglobin of young children or whatever he needs to do, he's going to fix that ankle and he will be back in the court. I'll tell you right now, if Mario Chalmers ends up dead... And missing ligaments <laughs> in his missing. leg, right? I'm not. I'm just gonna say, and like, I hope stem he has, cells. Yeah, I hope he has. An is like, I've woken up in a hotel room and my stem cells are gone. Um, um how, yeah, that's that's people, a nicer way to say it. Just just that way. Go ahead. How many people over the past five days have said to you, "Hey, Rosilla, why haven't you talked about LeBron owning the Red Sox?" Anybody? Anybody? A lot. That to you? A lot. I mean, the guys in Boston don't know what it means. They're like, well, what does this mean now? And I was like, probably nothing. Yeah. It's like, hey, do you know who the 18th highest staked owner on the Celtics is? Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about like, I don't know, is it 0.5% of the Red Sox or something? He doesn't own the Red Sox. Settle down. Yeah, that was definitely people were in a hurry to be like, okay, this is he owns a major league baseball franchise. And you're like, well, yeah. I mean, he kind of. he's part of an investment group that owns right. a small stake that doesn't actually decide what happens with the team. Now, I don't know what the final numbers were, though, because it's the Fenway Sports Group where it's multiple yeah. things. So, yeah. you know, I don't I don't know what it means. It's great. It's great that, you know, we can have a younger generation and more diversity in ownership. You know, I think that is really, really important. percent. But so, I think people, it was like the Jay-Z thing when people it was like, too good of a headline. Yeah. It was too good of a headline and people were like, he just bought the Red Sox. And you're like, okay, well, did he? <laughs> like, can we get Mookie back then? I, listen, I was, I was completely jealous. 
It sounds great. It sounds like a great thing to be like, yeah, I own a stake in the Red Sox. What a cool thing to tell people. But, you know, he's, I, I never But it's knew more than his... that. It's soccer. It's it's the racing. It's all of that yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. you know? So, I mean, I know it's you already that. know that. Yeah, just think, do you think you'll ever, I mean, I imagine at this point you probably get approached by, you know, no. hey, minority stake. You'd Come be an on. awful minority owner. I'd I'm be not terrible. saying. I'd, you'd be I'd the be worst. Guessing everybody. Yeah, you'd be I'd calling, be showing up in a sweatsuit. Imagine suit. if I owned a piece of the Celtics right now. I'd be so mad we haven't made a trade yet. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> no, but say like the Timberwolves Semi thing. Semi and e. Smith and Grant Williams played 55 minutes today. They scored two points. What are we doing? Take <laughs> my calls. You know what would be great is you you have baseline seats to Timberwolves games, right? And yeah. then as soon as the game is over, the local reporter is interviewing you. And you're just like, I don't know what the hell we're running. Like, yeah. these coaches... You know, I'm not. I'd be like, I don't Holy Cross, Grant Williams. Right. When House and I would set screens, we always did this in our pickup <laughs> games, and this is bullshit. No, I take just him be on like, the court. I'd be like, "This is what House and I used to do 30 years ago." Just hold on, hold on. Just watch this one thing. Um, and then you'd be calling teams that you have contacts with, being like, "Hey, Jared Culver, could I get a top 14 protected?" And then they would just guys would be like, "Hey, how big was his check? Like, get him out of here." <laughs> And it'd be like, uh, Bill Simmons is on the phone again. He wants to talk about Malik Monk. Just want just wanted to see if you made any calls about Malik today. Uh, marketing, wanted to see if you called about marketing today. Zach Lowe know, would be guys. on TV before the trade deadline. And he'd be like, well, I can tell you what Minnesota's doing. <laughs> I actually would not leak. I'm anti-leaking. I'm not a leaker. I don't, I don't think like, you would. Uh, I don't think you would. You would leak. Actually, yeah, I, I agree with that part. But you'd be annoying. I would, no, I'd I'd be I'd be brutal. Like this Celtic situation, I I would be losing my mind. There'd be a lot of emails. I'd send a lot of long emails with bullet points, and then I would sign my name in all caps at the bottom of the of the. Email. You would change the font size for yeah. points that you really want to make specific. Some thoughts about how this swingman situation can't continue. Dot dot dot. Now, it'd be great. On. You could say like. This fourth quarter, it kind of reminds me when Wahlberg shows up to the house in fear at the end. <laughs> and you know that your defense is good enough to resist. But is, it, is your defense system good enough to win the game? Well, it did make me think, what if LeBron really got into this Red Sox thing and like got into baseball and was sending notes about, uh, I don't know, Alex Verdugo? I was like, hey, I was wondering, why haven't we tried him in center? His, his, his <laughs> defensive war is really good. I was talking to Maverick about it today. Uh, hey, when's Chris Sale coming back? I think I was thinking about how we should use him on innings. Maybe some five-inning starts start off. I'm like, Hey, hey you, you know what? If Clutch starts repping baseball players, this could be amazing. Oh, my God. Although That'd I tell great. you, the, the NBA track record for the Celtics and Clutch it doesn't seem to be a destination for that organization. Yeah, so I don't not. know how that would be for baseball. Does not. Um, let's talk about LaMelo. LaMelo fractured his wrist, it seems. He said he's getting a second opinion. I'm not sure what that means. I don't know. Well, when he shot the free throw and it immediately hurt, it's it's jacked up. Devastating. I, that was my favorite. I mean, they were slumping a little bit, but that was still, I really liked that team. That was my favorite mediocre team. And now... Uh, you know, they could fill his minutes. It might mean more time for my guy, Monk, but um, I just hate losing young guys when they feel like they're becoming, you know, in such a formative time where he was just having a really special rookie season, certainly way better than uh, than I expected. I don't know. I don't feel like it's enough for a rookie of the year. So it does seem like Edwards can possibly grab this, maybe Halliburton if Halliburton had a strong 
last 20 games. But more importantly, from a trade deadline standpoint, Charlotte was one of the teams I was really watching because I felt like that was a team, they have a clear problem at the five with the yeah, Zeller yes. Biombo or yeah. Washington playing basically out of position as a five. But it was like, they're, that's a team that could actually go out and get somebody that could fix that problem. And maybe they'd be interesting in a playoff series. But now without him, I don't see it. Do you see it? Well, there's a weird thing with LaMelo, though, that I don't know that it, Hornets fans will know this, but you'd have to be a hardcore LaMelo guy to figure this out. And I, like you, watched him a lot because I'd want to see some of the stuff that, that I didn't see when I watched him in Australia. Um, they take him out in the key moments of the game. Right. He's and like I've DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, I've gone back and tracked it. And... There are significant times like, you know, I don't, I don't have it. I, I've gone back and looked at it and it was like two weeks of games where he'd be in to start and then he'd come out at the eight minute mark and then maybe he'd come in for the last minute. So there was a couple times where he came in for like a possession offensively, then he'd be subbed back out. But I'm telling you, there were large chunks of when the game was in the balance where he wasn't on the floor because every defensive screw up starts with him. So it you're thinking does. Ewing theory. Sounds like this is a Ewing theory. No, I'm just... I'm just telling you, I don't know that anybody else has mentioned this. And it, of course, it turns into like, oh, well, you didn't like him that much. No, I, I didn't like what I saw in no, Australia. No, we love, we love LaMelo. I, right. the NBA LaMelo, I'm all in. I, lo right, I love right. watching him. The weird thing is, and I said this in my pod, is like he had such little respect for his Australian teammates that it factored in that I didn't realize when he showed up to the NBA. He's like, no, no I, these guys are good. Like, yeah. I'm actually going to be, I'm going to be a teammate with these guys as opposed to this dude who just comes in and fires away horrible shots in Australia. But he didn't play great defense before. I don't care about defensive stuff. But the fact that they're competitive and they were even competitive last year with what I thought was probably one of the worst fives you would throw out there. I mean, when you yeah. really look at all those close games that they had. And so they they also, they close really well. So it's not a constant. He would bring LaMelo back in in some spots, but there were large chunks there in the fourth. But I don't think that would ever impact his rookie of the year. And as you say, all right, well, now they're probably done. I don't know. I mean, are they? Are they going to be done? Because now, you know, Graham, who needs the ball, uh, to be what he was before, and Rozier's been pretty good. I mean, they can kind of run that, and Hayward can kind of initiate your offense there, too. So I'll be curious to see what happens here. The stats are good. He's been terrific. He shot it way better than he ever has, whether it was Lithuania, Australia, or high school. He shot better at the NBA level, which is crazy, because um, he'll still take some shots that you're like, whoa. But I don't know if it's a defensive thing where, what if they what if they stay at the same record and close the same way? I, you know, I don't know what the answer will be there, but it's it's definitely a real thing that I think Hornets fans are like, yeah, that's right, they take him out. I looked at it this way. I thought the strength of that team and the reason I enjoyed them was they always had good guards out no matter what point in the game it was, right? Where you look at like the Celtics on the flip side where it's like, yeah, it looks great when Brown and Tatum are together, but what happens when one of those guys leaves the lineup? Then it's you're, you're falling off a cliff. With Charlotte, it's just like whoever was out there plus the Hayward 32 minutes and then Miles Bridges when... uh you know, every once in a while when he would get going, it just seemed they had a lot of guys doing stuff. And I thought the totality of that was what made them interesting. So now you just remove one of those guys. Yeah, they could get by without him, but I like the totality piece. And I, I also think that I'm not saying they're going to be better. I'm just pointing out no, something no, no, that was I'm very just, specific in the fourth quarter. I'm that just tells pointing you. out what I liked about them. So yeah, you're right. Was he, it's, was it like, you know, Memphis losing John Morant? No, but I thought their backcourt was just really different. <laughs> like they would have Devontae Graham would come in off the bench and um, in fourth quarters and, you know, could win a game. They had all these different guys who could actually like 
carry them in crunch time, even Monk. So I don't like losing that. The other thing with the East, you look at like, uh, and Atlanta made a run. There's a lot of reasons for that. Atlanta's not an eight game winning streak, but they You realize that's bad. eight and oh with Nate, right? I know. Eight and oh with Nate. The Lakers thing, LeBron Nate gets no. hurt. Yeah, Nate, no. Um, so Atlanta's in the four spot and then it goes Miami, Boston, the Knicks who just every game lose by a point in an agonizing way where they don't get a call. Charlotte, Indiana, Chicago, and Toronto is still in the 11 spot. And Toronto's uh, 17 and 25. They're three games behind everybody right now for the uh, 10, sp- 10 seed. And we had the trade deadline coming Thursday. And I think that I personally think that's a team that should be a seller. We'll see if, you know, they're not going to trade just to trade. But I kind of like that group of basically from Atlanta through Toronto. You could tell me any of those teams could go on an eight and zero streak. I wouldn't be shocked. Like I'm not shocked that Atlanta won their last eight. Are you? A little, but you realize in March they have the second best defense in the NBA behind Philadelphia. Philadelphia is like off the charts ahead of everybody else defensively, and that's why even without Embiid, they still have this this really good record. Even though Brooklyn's only a game behind and Milwaukee's only two behind. Atlanta winning eight in a row and it happening because of their defense is surprising. But you know who's lighting it up? It's somebody who has looked unplayable at times, but they were going to play him because they spent money on him was Danilo. I mean, mm. he's he's shooting the hell out of the ball yeah. now. And there were times where I'd watch him going, what does he do? Like, what does he do? He just stands out there. He doesn't do much off the dribble. And then you look at the numbers and you go, all right, well, now he's, now he's hitting shots all the time. Um, and it all started against Miami. It started with that Miami win where Trey had an awful game. Came yeah. in, saw what was going to He took like three 30-footers in a row, hit them all, and it was game. And Trey won that game in like a two-minute span. And when I looked at the defensive numbers from March on the splits and saw them at number two behind Philadelphia, I couldn't believe it. They got Collins going a little bit lately, too. And Collins yep. has been thrown around in these trade rumors, which I don't understand at all. The last thing this I can team update needs you on is that. more picks. Update me. He's been available forever, and he's. I feel like he's... I always caution myself on, on doing this because then it all gets aggregated, um, you know, because there's stuff that you'll hear and you're like, whatever. But it just it seems like they've warmed the idea of let's see what happens with this guy. OK, yeah, they're seeding right now, even though he turned down the 90 million, the qualifying off for him is really low, um, which also makes him attractive as a trade chip. But you know what? You've been losing for a long time down in Atlanta. He may not be perfect. He's going to make some plays. You're like, you know, he's, he's going to want the ball a little bit more maybe with all the offensive weapons. I mean, if you look at the roster when it's healthy, you're like, look, a lot of guys can make shots on this team. It feels like with the ownership mandate, which Lloyd Pierce is, is a casualty of and, and the front office probably a little worried about it, that it, it, I, the sense around the league on Collins feels like, you know what, he, he was, he's been more available than he is now, if that makes sense. Not saying it's impossible for me to trade it, but you could kind of make sense of the whole thing of like, you know what, maybe we just run with these guys and we still have, to, we could still figure out and sign them in the offseason, even if we don't love them as a player. Well, here's what they have coming up. At Clippers, at Sacramento, at Golden State, at Denver, at Phoenix, at San Antonio, at New Orleans. Yeah, we'll see then. <laughs> yeah, let's let's. So don't don't uh, print your Hawks Eastern Conference champion banner. But look, I think the East. I think the play-in game on the East, that seven, ten, eight, nine, all that stuff is going to be really good because all these teams are fun to watch. All of them, like even Indiana. Now that Lavert's back. 
And that team's kind of fallen into place too. That team's also going to be, you know, a nutty trade deadline team. I'm, I'm prepared for anything with them. And then the Bulls, you know, they can hang with anybody. Nick, same thing. The Celtics, ironically, are probably the most depressing of that whole group, right? I th- they had another team meeting over the weekend. Uh, they beat Orlando today just because they made a whole bunch of threes and they make a bunch of threes in a game. And it's like, oh, Celtics, they fixed it. It's like, eh, not really. It's a team that uh, they don't get to the free throw line. They don't really have a bench. And if the threes don't go in, there's not really a plan B. And the Kemba not being able to play back-to-backs um, really, really hurts them because they just don't have enough good players. So um, I enjoy the East. I think this has been... Um, the East has always been kind of the black sheep of the two conferences year after year after year. And this is the first time where I feel like from uh, an entertainment standpoint, they're they're right there. Plus, did you know Brooklyn has the best title odds right now? Yeah, it would make sense because of the Davis injury. Plus and now adding LeBron to Fanduel. it. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just nuts that they're they're rolling like this and it's and it's still, oh, by the way, they get to ramp back. Let me do a quick run through on this because I'm with you yeah. on the East. The Wizards are better. You know, they had a they had a brutal start. They had a brutal stretch, but Westbrook has been I mean, some of Westbrook's shooting numbers when you break it down monthly, like he was at one point, <laughs> I think last month, Westbrook was fifteen percent from three. He's 42% from three. <laughs> so, the, the, yeah, I have it here. Westbrook's three-point shooting month-to-month, last three months. January, 41%. February, 15%. March, 42%. Uh, the overall numbers with him are 15%? always... How is he 15%? How is that possible? You want to look how, it up? How is that even sure. conceivable? Well, no, I'm not if anybody could do it, it's Westbrook. I'm looking at the splits. Yeah. Wow. Jesus. Yeah, and I mean, he was still taking... 15.4%. He was taking less that month, which was what it, turned his his season around last year is when he stopped taking threes and the lane was wide open. So as bad as the Wizards have been at times defensively and not really understanding the rotation, they actually fought with the Nets today, you know, and, and look, Westbrook is going to get up for those games. We saw how much he got up for the Durant Nets game. He's going to get up for Harden and that kind of stuff. Um, I thought one of the highlights today was Nick Claxton pushing uh, Adia and like pushing him out of the way and Denny wasn't even in the play. And I was just like, Nick Claxton's absolutely feeling himself right now because he's like, this is easy. The league's easy, man. I just get all these free dunks all the time. This is awesome. Um, but <laughs> the Wizards at least feel like on certain nights a bit of a tougher out despite the fact the overall wrecking. And then, you know, when you lose that many games to COVID in the middle of it and you have new pieces, I'm not, you know, again, like everybody knows I'm not team, exactly team Westbrook over here and defensively he's still going to do a ton of shit that never makes any sense. Uh, Cleveland beat Toronto. Toronto's lost eight in a row. Toronto's defense is so bad, and actually, we'll get to the Celtics because I have a Celtics question for you. Their defense is the worst in March. It's 120 points allowed per 100 possessions. They got everybody back for the Cleveland game, and they still lost that one. But Siakam had only played three games this month. Van Vliet, three games. OG, only two games. So I don't know what to do with them. I don't know what's going to happen with Lowry. Um, It seems like a lot of teams would love to figure it out, but he's 35 years older. He's 35 this week. Chicago, I'm with you. They're fun. The Pacers-Lavert thing actually scares me a little bit. Because there was something that happened with the Russell Dinwiddie Lavert thing, where they all they all carried the same Nets gene. Where as talented as they are as offensive players, they're they have no problem ignoring everybody else. So I think the Lavert fit. They've won three in a row, but I mean, shoot, it felt like a couple of weeks ago the Pacers were the four seed. So let me ask you this about the Celtics. So you don't like the Lavert, TJ Warren playing on the court together fit? 
I like adding guys that can score, but I just want you at some point to realize, it, you know, there are other guys that can score. And so yeah. is Brogdon going to shoot less now? Is Sabonis going to shoot less? And they ran, you know, they got the heat. They blew a lead. They got him in overtime today, but they ran like uh, they were trying to attack Hero all the time and his numbers are in decline. Have you looked at his shooting numbers lately? He was, I think he was four for 16 today. He's yeah. that. He's averaging 17 a game, but it's... He's it's, their third uh, leading scorer, but he's not hitting not a threes. good 17 a game, yeah. He's not hitting threes to the way that you see him as a shooter. All right, so that all leads me... The whole reason I did that, if you're still wondering why, Bill, I don't like saying this about teams, especially when I don't know, right? I'm not... None of us travel with teams. We don't know. But there's like a void with this Celtics team that I can't figure out. They're soft. I don't want to say it, but that's the word I keep thinking of. I think Listen, you can so- call a team soft without... We're, we're not calling them like a bunch of pussies. They just play soft. They don't get to the free throw line. Teams push them around. You, you see a guy like Rashawn Holmes comes in and just like feasts on them. And they they have nobody that can fight back. Smart was their tough guy, but Smart's, you know, been a shell of himself since he got hurt. Today was the first game, the Orlando game, the first game he started to look like Marcus, but Marcus is like the badass on the team. The team is, it's just like a passive team of of guys that don't really talk. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm they, wondering when they're going to be mad. Like, when are you yeah, guys going to be mad about it? And they're yeah. never, they never seem to be mad. There's a play that I'm going to bring up. When they were in that Nets game, and, you know, whatever, they got up early, it doesn't matter, in the, especially now. Jesus, I mean, 15 points, it's like nothing. Harden drives, gets Tice right in the midsection. I don't know if he got him in the gut or the man region, but he knocked the shit out of him, right? One of those Harden plays where Harden's yeah. really good disguising how hard he hits the defensive player to get him off of him, and nobody ever can figure it out. The rest will see some crumpled up body, and then Harden's already turning away after a layup, and you're like, oh, I wonder what happened. Um, Tice is curled up on the baseline after Harden makes the layup, and everybody's getting ready to get back for the Boston possession. Tice is like hurting. All right, Harden got him really good. And Tice looks up at the ref, and the ref's looking at him like, check ball, like, get up. And Tice is hoping he can give him a second, and the ref didn't even have respect enough for Tice to, like, stop anything. So Tice gets up in, like, a heap, and I'm going, you know, if I'm Tice, fuck Harden. Like, I'm going to get you once now. You just just did that to me, and now I'm going to get, which I can't believe doesn't happen with some of these guys that are so vicious in how much contact they initiate as offensive players that nobody comes back. Maybe they're just worried about everything. Well, it is all going to get reviewed anyway, so don't worry about it. And Tice just took it. Tice got crumpled. The ref didn't care. They didn't stop the game. He's going to get back in, hunched over, trying to get back and set up for the offensive possession, and nobody does anything. And then Kyrie dribbles through the entire team, and they're in a parade to go hug it out with Kyrie. After the game. And I'm not focusing on the Kyrie, Boston, all that shit, because we've been over it all. But I'm like, this guy just worked you, and you can't wait to dap him up. And you have all these moments. And this is somebody like you who watches them all the time, because I like talking Celtics with my dad. But they, I always, I watch and be like, when are, when are you guys going to get pissed off about how disappointing the season is? Because they shouldn't be this bad. You know, everybody has their ups and downs. The Kemba part's a big part of it. They get him back. When he shoots well, they look like a really good team, but they don't seem to ever have this life. There's a void with this team, and I, I just, I think it's real, and I think it's a problem. Yeah, I don't know if soft's the right word or passive or what. They're young too. I don't think that helps either. You know, you look back at the seventeen team, right? Crowder's on that team. Marcus Smart, uh, Rozier, 
Jarebko, who was like kind of secretly a badass, was always like getting into shit. Uh, Rogier was? was another one. This is breaking news. Jarebko was, he would, he would get kind of feisty with people. And Isaiah was a tough guy too, but that team, that was like a lunch pail team, you know? And I think that's the 18 team um, that, you know, kept fighting and fighting that had the Mar Marcus Morris was the big addition that you're right. was another guy. He's a frustrating guy to root for, but that guy was tough. Like he didn't put up with any shit. Um, there, there's a toughness that's lacking with this team. And, uh, you know, you see it over and over again. The Brooklyn thing bothered me too. I mean, but it bothered me that they were like, Hey Kyrie, it's great to see you. Thanks for completely destroying us. Let's have a COVID hug. Um, I think that's more than anything why I think they're going to be making trades this week. I do not think this will be the roster on Friday because they there's some sort of, they need older guys on the team. I think the team's too young. I think the leaders of the team who I love, Tatum and Brown, I want to root for them their whole careers, but those are young guys. They're not, you know, they're not. Yeah, um, but young guys can't be mad. Like young, I see John no, Morant. Right. I see John Morant like with fire all that's the time. I'm not saying it works all the time. Um, but I don't, I don't see what, you know, I think every team that's, that's good. That's not the personality of Tatum and Jalen though. I, I don't think those are those kind of guys. That's there why the Marcus thought, piece is so important though. Yeah, no, you're right. Like I, my frustrations with smart, but you know, when he was out, it's like, oh, okay, they don't have smart. I was like, maybe. And then he's back and it, it's not really any different, but I also think it's hard to be like the fourth best player. Cause I also think he frustrates those guys. Clearly we've already heard about it. I mean, we heard about yeah. the one that was public where it was like, those guys got into it a little bit with Jalen and smart. And maybe it's just guys getting mad at each other after game, but there's, there's this void with them where you keep waiting for them to get like, Hey, you guys are better than some of these teams like this past weekend. I know they go to Orlando today cause they made a million threes, but I don't know. You get worse. Sacramento, Sacramento, Sacramento was like, they just played harder. And Rashawn Holmes was the best part of the floor for some reason. It, it just dominated them. And you're watching it going, what the hell? Uh, all right, we're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you have a good team of skilled, talented people, good things are bound to happen. That's true in sports. It's true in business. It can be true with digital companies or websites, or podcast networks. If you're running a small business, one of the best places to look for those people is LinkedIn Jobs. They have what you need to find and hire qualified professionals you can't find anywhere else. And unlike other job boards, LinkedIn Jobs has a vast network of professionals, like more than a billion people. And it makes the whole hiring process intuitive and easy to manage. They're constantly launching new features to help make the hiring process more manageable. They even created a tool to help write job descriptions recently. Over 2.5 million small businesses trust LinkedIn when it comes to hiring. And over 86% find a qualified candidate within the first day. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Simmons. That's linkedin.com slash Simmons to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. Earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. Then grow it at 4.50% annual percentage yield. When you open a savings account with Apple Card, visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card, subject to credit approval, savings available to Apple Card owners, subject to eligibility, savings accounts, provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Member FDIC, terms apply. So Rosillo and I, are, we're gonna do a trade deadline show on Thursday, and we'll start it like probably a half hour before the deadline and then go all the way through and then try to post it as fast as we possibly can. 
on Thursday afternoon. So I don't want to do too much trade stuff today. But I was looking at, I was trying to figure out what the Knicks could do because they're, they have 15 million in cap room, which I think is really a fun wrinkle with them. And they have some expirings too. And I kind of like their team. You think like RJ, RJ has basically been a 20 point a game guy since, I don't know, the last 10 games where it's starting to look like it's coming together for him. Randall's been good all year. And I was trying to figure out like Drummond can't be bought out. He's too good to be bought out. As frustrating of a player as he is, he can't shoot free throws. Um, good stats, bad team guy. He's too good to be bought out. This is not Blake Griffin. Like somebody needs to trade for him. There are teams that could use somebody like him. And it just seems like they're a natural Drummond team. Um, and the question is like, if you put Drummond on that team and we've never really seen him on a good team other than that one year with Blake, when Blake was really good two years ago, and even that team wasn't that good. But if you put him on this team playing for a new contract with all the other stuff they have going, is that something you'd want to see? A drummer just doesn't get me that excited. Yeah. I think that's the league, bad. The agrees just, with you. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't do much more. I was talking to a team this week that was like, hey, when did this go home and then we ruin our own trade value for you because everybody thinks you're going to be bought out thing become accepted? It was pretty interesting. Because it was like, LaMarcus Aldridge doesn't suck. But now, because he lost his job to Pirtle, and by the way, when Draymond made his rant about how like this was a double standard, the players are fine not playing. <laughs> okay? So if the, if the players were Especially mad... Especially in the COVID were, year. Right. If, if players were super mad about being sat down, then I think we'd probably hear from a few of them. Um, but I agree that Drummond seems to be somebody good enough, but the number is so big on him in the trade, and that's probably yeah, why you're thinking Knicks, right? Yeah, because they could absorb the number and... I mean, you average 15 rebounds a game. That's not nothing. You know, no, just, no, you're right. A, you're right. That's just, just a high number. It's not, that's not somebody that the fucking Lakers should be able to get for free in March. Um, I just hope somebody steps up and makes a move, whether it's Charlotte or, you know, whoever. Charlotte would probably love them because of, you know, the, the rotation they have right there. But I don't, I mean, we're talking about, what, 25-5 this year? I threw this traded house, marking in for top and straight up. Oh my God. He's 20. Yeah, he's 28-7. Sorry. 28-7. Uh marking in for Toppin, straight up. I think I'd say no if I were the Bulls. You'd say no if you're the Bulls. Yeah. Really? What do you do with Markinen's contract this summer? You still have no idea if he's good or not. I personally would be trading for him, but what do yeah, you do? I mean, what if he's like, hey, I can make 80, I got an $80 million offer from the Kings. I think I'm going to take it. Unless you guys match. I know, that sucks. Any interest? It's like the Bogdanovich thing. Hey, um, looks like Atlanta's offered me 75. You guys interested? Eh. That's how I, I feel know. about the, Voladip, uh, the, the Oladipo deal. Where it's like, hey, we got Oladipo for four years, max. I'm like, awesome. Well, he's Congrats. another one. That's a good swing guy. Do you want to do a Poku corner? I feel like I didn't do enough on your Drummond corner. I like the idea. I just, if if I were a team trying to get Drummond and then I was told I couldn't get him, I, I'd be able to get through the rest of the day. I don't have a strong opinion either way on Drummond. It just, it, it he's not a buyout guy. This It bothers me. He's too productive. Yeah, this is fair. not. This is not like PJ Brown near the end of his career. This is not Blake Griffin, who's probably... 99% done, but 
you know, Damon Stoudemire. Remember how bad everybody wanted him that year? Oh my God. What were some other classic ones? Uh, Stefan Marbury is another one. Ugh. Yeah. Most of the time it ends badly. That's no, it ends point. up. It, yeah. It ends up here. You know what my favorite one is, is the Vince? Warriors were the 73 win team. We realized what happened in the finals. They come back the next year. They've got Durant. And so that's 17. And the Cavs brought in Bogut and Darren Williams. Oh, Bogut. Bo yeah, those are and good ones. Bogut played eight seconds and he yeah. got hurt. Darren Williams actually played a little bit. But it reminds me a little bit of what's happening with the Blake thing with the Nets. I don't know how much of that you watched today. I like, had it on. Okay, give me your thoughts. It's my thoughts have not changed. Well, I texted you. I was like, look, I know this game. I know the, I can't do anything anymore on a basketball court. So I'm going to keep the ball moving, set some screens, cut, make, make it seem like I'm doing stuff, but I'm really not doing anything. So I we're know, talking like the first week of Batum with the Clippers, but again, Batum settled in and started making shots and he's, he's legit part of the rotation. So I yeah, think but to Batum say that about guard people, Blake's not going to be able to guard people like that. He doesn't have the lateral movement anymore. He's not explosive that way. And they, it seemed like they were thinking about playing him like as a Draymond kind of a small five, which I, I don't see at all. I, I just don't think he's going to play for them. Ultimately. I'm not going to worry it. about what he looked like in his first game back in what, five weeks. So. The thing with the Nets is he's going to end up having, a, he's going to have like 17 one night and everybody's going to say that he's back. And what, what happens with this Nets team, because Harden's so good at getting the other guys open looks and just free ones all the time, is Blake's going to have some night where the help is towards Harden. Imagine when Durant's back. I bet you Blake has a night just by default because no one's guarding him and they're guarding all the other guys. But what happens is, is the headline is Blake Griffin of the Nets. And then Lakers fans out here are like, God damn it, like, who are we getting? And you're like, all right, well, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't think the balance happened here, you know, where if Drummond ends up with somebody um, in a buyout, right, and ends up with a contender, we get, like, really excited on the recency bias of it all. And the reason I bring up Bogut and Darren Williams with that is that I remember a very prominent voice in sports talk. After the Cavs added those two pieces, it was like, well, that's it. Balance of power has shifted. And I, I went up to him, was like, I don't normally do this, but I'm like, are you, you really think adding Bogut and Darren Williams at this stage now makes this Cavs team, like now they're going to beat the Warriors with Durant? That sounds stupid. Boogie and the last course, couple of years was like this too. Boogie was another one. When he went to the Warriors, it's like, this isn't even fair. And I'll, I'll, you know, give it to Boogie. He had some stretches there where it seemed like he was a lot more locked in than he's ever been anywhere else. But I don't even know if a healthy Boogie made them but you're right like every time and i'm just prepping everybody for this when the buyout stuff happens and you see the guy photoshopped in his new jersey and all that then it just turns into like oh whoever just got the last guy then becomes vaulted as like the favorite in the conference and it usually doesn't work out that way baron davis was another one back in the day you know what struck me with blake today the thing that's left with his game is his passing oh great and passer yeah. They were throwing it to him and then he can do the one-handed thing and he could just zip it around. But I think teams are going to eventually realize like, just play the passing lanes. Let him try to actually like try to create a shot. Just guard him one-on-one. -on -one, let him just let him try to do something because if he's trying to do something, that's a hundred times better for us than if Harden or Kyrie or Kevin Durant <laughs> are trying to do something. So that's let, why, Blake, right. let Blake do his thing. Please. Take that's why he's, he, he's going to have a couple nights here in the regular season where people are going like, is he back? 
Well, know? there's a cool element to this. And I think this is why people are rooting for it. Just to, it, there's going to be a scenario where Harden, Durant, Kyrie, and Blake are all going to be on the team together. And it's going to be like, holy shit. Can you imagine in 2013, if we had told ourselves that these four guys would be on the same team, like that we'd lose our minds, but it's, you know, the reality is they're different guys. I, I, to me, the Durant piece is such a bigger storyline with them than Blake Griffin coming back where Durant's missed a year and a half of basketball. And since he's came back, he's never, we haven't been able to see him play for 10 straight games. He had Maybe. COVID thing. I don't, I don't know that it's much COVID more than scare. that. Now, now he's got this hamstring thing that seems like it's now a month long injury. And we're not supposed to be worried about that. But I, I just, I don't like when guys, you know, who have played a lot of minutes already in a lot of games and that now they hit this phase of their career where they just can't stay on the court for whatever reason. I don't think that's a good sign. All right, Poku time. What are you seeing? Okay, I figured it out. Okay. There is no player with a lower floor and I'm not going to say higher ceiling. <laughs> The disparity but between the, the ceiling and the floor is, the, is right. the widest. He has the single greatest variance of any player that gets real minutes in the NBA today. And I will start with all the compliments because that organization is incredible. I cannot believe they've won this many games this year. They've had to cycle through all of these different players. It's not like they just have their five and they roll it out there. If you're yeah. not ready to play the Thunder, you're going to lose. All right? Yeah. And I still would look at their offense and their rotations going, how is this team winning? Their offense, like there was a time too when they had a decent record, like 11 and 15, I thought was amazing for them. And their point differential was way worse. And I was like, all right, it'll run its course. And it, and it hasn't. They won again. I mean, are they at 20 wins now? Because that was the over-under for them. I think they're just behind it. I think, I think they're they 18 and 24. Eight, 18 and 24. I think their over-under was 21 in the season. So they're going to obviously get that. And their point differential is worse than every team in the West except for too, but look, it's not like it's not like they're great in the standings. All right, so Pokashevsky, we knew that he could pass for a big guy, even though he looked like he weighed about one twelve. Um, and the footage of where he played, the competition was not uh, tense. Okay, he also which well, the footage showed a guy who was like one hundred and seventy four pounds and seven yeah. feet tall. Now he's probably a crisp one eighty eight, maybe. And he kind of looks like the guy on the Instagram videos that gets his haircut and you're like, oh my gosh, like what did they do to this guy? And <laughs> you know, another thing I've learned having Instagram is that international people don't know how to cook eggs properly. You just burn the shit out of them and abuse them. But that's another, we'll, we'll table that. We'll do that on my podcast. So Pokoszewski in their win against Houston, by the way, where Houston ran ISO John Wall down to game winning three to win it because the rule is down two, two pointers don't count. You only can shoot threes now. But that, but that was a secret weird game because it was OKC a weird game. has the top four Houston pick, so Houston actually needed to lose the game. But Houston wanted, but they OKC wanted, to win. wanted Houston to win the game, and now it's coming down to the stretch. But you can't tell the players to tank, and there's just a lot of shit going on. There's I was also listening to turn on the radio. I was enjoying it. That's weird that you were listening on the radio. That's I was driving than, back from Vegas. It's weirder than either of us watched the whole game, but. Christian Wood, I think, at 27, and he also did something that was awesome, where he didn't get the ball the last couple of possessions, and when they were coming out of the timeout for the John Wall, he just shook his head the whole time he was standing by the bench. So they were getting ready to check in, and Christian Wood just shook his head because he wanted everyone to know, fuck this. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not getting the ball enough. I'm the man. And it's why, despite his immense talent, they're, like some of the teams that he's left have been like, all right, 
Yeah, good luck. Okay, okay. It's, and he's been awesome. Look, he's an incredibly talented guy. He's carried over and and duplicated more than duplicated everything he was doing production wise um, when he was with Detroit. So Pokusheski had a stretch where he dribbled right and just fell down on his own, like just yard sale right yeah. at the baseline. Somebody grabs the basketball away from him. He comes down the next time, hits a three, like and it was nice. And the best thing about Pokusheski is his passing because you're like, holy, like where the hell did this guy learn? Well, how he to play does basketball? this thing where he beats the guy off the dribble, but he's always thinking slash and kick. But he's like seven foot one, and half the time you think. If you just kept dribbling, that's probably a layup or a dunk. But he's he's always dumping it, trying to find shooters like he's LeBron. It's he's one of the strangest players I've ever watched because you know even when I was talking to people about him for the draft, like in teams that didn't even like him, were like, dude, that guy throws some passes though. But what I always loved about him, and I would tell you, and I'd send you clips of it, I'd be like, this guy gets so pissed off when he doesn't get the ball. <laughs> He's so mad, and I was like, I wonder if he's going to do that in the NBA. He's like, yeah, yep, he's doing the same thing. Like he'll be like. 30 feet out on the weak side, clapping, being like, how, how have you not swung this back over to me? So he falls down. No one touches him. And it looks like, how's this guy even in the league? And then yeah. he hits a three and you go, okay. And by the way, he's so young that none of this matters and that there's actually some real positives in it. All right. So this is mostly a positive thing. And then he hits the three and then they come down again. And this is after he lost like two people in transition defense and it was a disaster. Like he didn't even know who to close out on. Yeah. Like helped where he wasn't supposed to help, picked the wrong guy in transition. After he hit the three, he came down and he was probably like 27 feet at the break. And I go, he's wide open. If you pass it to him right now, it's going to be Guinness record out of his hands. I mean, he and it was awesome. Airball. (laughs) (laughs) It was out of his hands so fast that it was like not even. And then it was, you know, I mean, if you were American, he would have blown on the hands afterwards to make sure they were right. Right. He is the, he's the all-time quick release guy who has no business being an all-time quick release guy. The other thing about him, if you made a rule that the basically the eight feet of the paint leading toward the basket was just had an electric current. Hot lava. Stepped on it, you'd be, yeah, or hot lava. So don't go near that thing or you might, something bad will happen. And then you said, what would it be like if somebody was playing like that? You'd pick him because he has a fear of being within eight feet of the basket. On the other end, he'll like block shots and stuff. But offensively, he just really wants to be 25 feet away at all times. He wants to be, you know, instead of being uh, on the first floor of the house, he just he likes to view at the top. He likes to view from far away. I get it. I get a kick out of him. His body is unlike anybody that has ever succeeded at an NBA level. I mean, let's be honest. Although Bertans, he's video. He's like, that guy's jacked. <laughs> right. But I, I mean, like they think this guy might be like an all NBA guy someday. They're, they're like all in on him. No, there's some people that like are going, you know, he's the age where he was playing and that he's doing this now. I mean, look, he'll have games. <laughs> you go through his game log and you go, I can't believe you took an 11th shot. Like, right. what were you doing that day? And then, you know, he'll be, I think he's had two, two for 11 games. I got to check my Poku notes Well, the free again. throws, the, he's, he shot zero free throws in every single game except two. <laughs> two of his last five games, he shot free throws in. I would I say thought, this. when, I, when I eight see free him, throws for the whole season. When he does go into that, that danger zone of the paint, though, that's when he does, you're right, on the kick. And then he'll, like, he had an around the back. I think it was at the G League Showcase. Where I was like, I don't know if five guys in the NBA would even attempt this pass. And it was sick. It, it was, is it funny, was unbelievable. Though, 
it's funny how protective the fan bases get of guys like this when you're having kind of a crap season. Um, Cause I, you know, obviously I've had a few crap Celtic seasons in my day, but I remember Gerald Green was one of those guys where he'd be like, Gerald Green was basically his rookie season was similar to Poku. It was mostly a train wreck. And then there was a couple gems and you'd latch onto those gems or that one dunk in traffic or whatever. Like, oh no, he's getting it. Yeah, I mean, he's got all the tools. He's got all the tools. You remember that late March, early April run Gerald Green had? Yeah. Where I, I would started to call that like the fool's gold season of the NBA. And I'm afraid in a weird way we're having a full season of it. But <laughs> um, there would be this stretch of the like, last 10 or 12 games where everybody was tanking. <laughs> you know, two-thirds of the league is tanking. And then you would see these guys have these incredible offensive stretches. And then it was almost like winning your bowl game, winning like the Idaho Bowl. And you'd be coming into next year going, dude, this guy, this guy has it figured out. But it's it's such a great point about the fan part of it, which, you know, you could feel detached because you do this for a living. But my analysis is my my analysis is watching players. And, you know, I'm I like my track record. Sometimes I'm wrong about him. But you know what's never factored in is my emotional attachment where if this guy's better, I feel better. <laughs> right. You know, so if your argument to me is I'm wrong about the player and you're right because it'd be awesome if he was really good for your favorite team, then we're not going to talk about it. I looked up Gerald Green's second season when they were tanking for the Duran Oden lottery. The 76th game of the year, they lost to Atlanta by eight. This was after they, they lost their last, they had an eight game losing streak. And he was on a stretch where he scored 21, 12. 33. I'm telling you, this is that Atlanta, stretch. Yeah. 22 and 21. And then that KG trade, it was like, ah, can we give up Gerald Green? I mean, can he be in the trade? And we we're already giving up Al Jefferson. Like, we have to throw in Green. But that my point is, you get irrationally attached to these young guys with potential. And Poku is the greatest example of that. Like, I guarantee there's OKC people right now listening to this. Like, hey, man, lay off fucking Poku, man. He's only 19. He's, well, he's, that's Kevin O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor gets mad at you or I making funny of because here's the deal: the Poco well, clips a that are bad. Humor about it, at least, right? But the bad Poco clips are hilarious. Okay, they're <laughs> they just are. they're fucking hilarious, <laughs> and and maybe he's going to be really good. He's really young. Presti's got a good track record, and that whole organization they should win some sort of award because I can't believe how competitive they are, and there, there's not really a ton of guys in that roster that be starting on good teams. But yes, the Poku thing may work out, but give us this. You have to admit deep down, when the highlights are bad, it's it's bad. I mean, there's a lot of things about him that if you catch him I can't him believe for, we're still talking about him. Well, if you catch him for the wrong minute, you're like, this is unbelievable. Did Sam Presti lose a bet? <laughs> how, did, wait, how long before they give this up? And then, you know, I, I watched the Memphis game. After he lit it up, I went back and watched the second half on the NBA app and he looked pretty good. Like he looked a little Turkish. <laughs> and then you're like, Oh my God, what do we miss here? Uh, yeah. He's, if you're them, this is the most fun version of a shit season you could possibly have. You have no chance of not being one of the three worst teams in the West. Right. And yet somehow they're not one of the three worst teams. Shay each, I would say when you consider. Yeah, he didn't maybe, even play today. Yeah. No, but I'm saying with Shea, like maybe the Clips could have gotten Paul George without even throwing him in if they had really stuck to their guns. I don't know. 
Presti obviously was going, we're getting Shea, but you think like the picks were the story of that trade with the, with the people who didn't actually watch Clipper games. It's like, oh my God, look at all those picks and pick swaps. And I was like, yeah, they also gave up Shea. And but, by the way, I should, when I said earlier that there's nobody on the team, that you like I'm, Shea not playing today, clearly every team in the league would want Shea. I mean, he arguably should have been an all-star this year. And whatever you thought of him before, where you just, whenever, I remember the first time I saw him in person, I went, oh shit. Like there's something now. I didn't love the playoff stretch, but we can just chalk it up to being young his first time through it. Yeah. Um, but he's taking it to another level and he would be, any team would want that guy. So yeah, they have at least one. I of love Dort too. Yeah. Dort um, shot it. He, I mean, Dort went from why is he shooting in that Houston game or Houston series where, you know, it just felt like everything was a struggle for them offensively. You know, even though it goes seven games, I think just watching that series, you just went, everything's a struggle for the thunder where when Houston gets rolling, it just feels easier for him. Um, but yeah, Dort Dort's been a big uh, a big plus. All right, we'll him. save we'll save the rest of our NBA stuff for Thursday when we do the trade deadline. What's your non sports thing? Is Matthew Modine back? A Modine sense? Yeah. So I saw him in uh, Wrong Turn, which I thought was really good. I genuinely liked it. The remake of Wrong Turn. Do you know he was in that? No, I was talking. He's in the. Uh, yeah, Operation the Varsity Col- Blues, which Netflix is really scandal. good. Chris Smith did that. Yes, that it I is really that good. Was excellent. He's and awesome he, in it. Modine's awesome in it. I thought when I heard that was the idea for the movie, I was like, "That's not going to work." Reenactments, like they, people have tried this, this never works, and it actually worked. He's also the of the avenging dad in a uh, wrong turn, and he's really good in that too. I think we're in a Modine sense. I think it's happening. Maybe you lit a fire under him when you guys went at each other on Twitter. He was could've pissed ha- at me. Yeah. Could have happened. He was legitimately pissed, I think. Because I was like, oh, he's still going at me? I was like, whatever, man. All right. So that was your non-sports thing, the Modena sense? Yeah, and I would recommend the Netflix doc on the college scandal. It's a good watch. Like, don't go into it thinking it's going to win an award or something. I just But you haven't it. watched Beartown yet. No, I'm on a Peaky Blinders run. I finally got to that. Did you ever watch it? No, I didn't watch it. Why not? Just haven't gotten it. You're missing out. It's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Same reason you haven't gotten to Beartown. I haven't had a lot of time. I've been watching basketball. I've been watching. I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but. uh, Just once. You know what? I'll get on it this week. But, you know, when you're watching Thunder Rockets games on Sunday afternoon in L.A. and it's nice out, that means you're just locked in. Um. Pluto has been, they have a Johnny Carson channel and I keep drifting over there to see who the guests are. And it's like stepping into an alternate universe. I highly recommend it. Do you have Pluto? Okay. Give me your highlights right now. I, I told a story on the rewatchables tomorrow about the best. I don't want to step on that. On the rewatchables, I told a story about this one I saw um, last week, which I thought was amazing. I'll tell you who I saw the other day though. Um, Joan Rivers, who I think has now been lost in history as being hilarious, she came on and crossed 19 lines. I think that the funniest thing about these old shows is we're so hypersensitive to any sort of trigger joke, any trigger word, all these things where you hear somebody making those jokes, you're like, uh-oh, oh, they're going to get in trouble. And then the Tonight Show, they're just blowing through the stop signs. And it's just over the course of some night in 1975, I watched this one, it was... Glenn Campbell and Don Rickles sitting and Glenn Campbell looked like he was on something, Don Rickles. And he keeps interrupting Don Rickles and they're just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's like, this wasn't that long ago. It was less than 50 years ago that we interacted 
in this completely inappropriate, politically incorrect way. And it's, it's really hilarious. So I've been enjoying that just because I feel like it's like going into a different universe. Who's your favorite guest on those? Like, who's your, who's your like, okay, I'm not doing anything. I'm watching this entire thing. I know Rickles. there's a lot. Rickles, right? Yeah, Rickles. Rickles. I mean, he be, Rickles could never really make it on TV. He had a bunch of, sh- uh, he was on CPO Sharky and, you know, his big things. He was a variety shows, but it was like Carson was where he made his bones. He would go on Carson. He would just kill. Um, but Joan was another one who I think was was really underrated. But uh, the, but watching especially the seventies ones, the command that Carson had uh, of just there's five four or five people on the on the couch, and he's like the dad lording over everything, and they'll they'll poke fun at him, but you can't like go too far. Yeah, or he'll come yeah. back with like a fucking zinger, and he'll just like shoot you down. And then Ed's over on the corner, and he's like joking it, and you never know like how sauced Ed was. And uh, it's just, it's really something. It's its so unpredictable. That's, you know, I think TV now um, where you have to be predictable. That's part of how you have to do these shows, right? You got to do it the same way with the same things. And, you know, you got to cater it certain ways. And it, it's just fucking crazy. But it, when Kimmel was doing his show, that was initially how we wanted to model the show. It was after like the old Carsons and the Mike Douglas, where it was just like, put people on the couch. You never know what's going to happen. Nobody would want to risk that now. So why did you try to do that early on with Kimmel? Oh, yeah. I, mean, I remember you guys had the bar thing and that was a disaster, right? We had the, yeah, that got canceled. But we had the guest house, guest host. Every every uh, week there was a different guest host. So that, and they would be out for the whole show. And then when the other guests would come on, everybody would stay and, they, and the couch would just kind of fill up. But what you find out when they do the focus groups are people like, yeah, people don't like the guest host. That was that's what happens. The, the yeah, focus the groups focus go. Groups hey, that's just it. kill. They kill uh, everything. Yeah. You know what's tough is anything new, obviously, but there's just such a buy-in with Carson that you have to. Like I, I grew up watching the reruns during the day, um, and you just, I don't know. Like as a kid, I was just like, there's something about this where you just assumed it was great, you know. And I'm not saying it wasn't. Yeah, but you didn't have as many options, obviously. But there's something to be said about. Okay, I'm. We're so critical and, and nasty because and maybe it's because of the way we are now or because we have so many options. But imagine turning something on now being like, okay, I'm thrilled about this. I have no idea what's gonna happen, but I'm just thrilled and I can't wait to be entertained. I don't know that any of us watch stuff that way. And that's how I used to watch that show. Where I was just right. like, I can't wait to see what they're gonna do on this. And even though, you know, it can feel outdated and all that kind of stuff, they just I can't imagine how much fun that run in Hollywood was like when you were in that group. And all these entertainers, I'm sure there's some version of it now, which I thought you were going to introduce me to, but it hasn't happened yet. Um, <laughs> but when I, whenever Fair. I think about Los Angeles and those people like running the town, it must be, I mean, there's books and all that kind of stuff, but it just must have been unbelievable. And then to be like, hey, I'm going to do Carson again, you know, next week. Oh, all right. Yeah, I'm going to be by and all that kind of stuff. And just, you know, I know there's probably people that didn't like each other and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know. It, I'm always very enamored with the whole thing because it seems so foreign to me. Me too. I It's going to send me on a Carson book run, I think. I think I'm going to, I have one of the books, but I think I'm going to zip through some of them. I'm, I'm going to go through a 60s, 70s old Hollywood run, I think is going to be my next book run. Just kind of dive into it. Because um, after you guys did the Chevy Chase stuff, what did you do? You did Caddyshack, right? Rewatchables. And then you guys did a big Chevy Chase thing. And so then I read the SNL book. Yeah. Um, the oral history one that you 
you recommended to me. And the Chevy Chase stuff is so good that I got into kind of a wormhole of his interviews, like when he yeah. was the king. And it was unbelievable. Um, and then it was after the cocaine run. And then I forget who it was asked about cocaine. And he just shitting on the guy interviewing him. It was the funniest thing ever. And then for whatever reason, Chevy Chase like really didn't like Bruce Dern. Really? <laughs> and he's being asked about Bruce Dern. And he's just like crushing Bruce Dern. But it was it was really like Chevy was annoyed. The guy like you have me on the show and then you're asking me about Coke. And Chevy just turned on the guy. But he did it in the way that like when Chevy was at his, at the height of his powers, it was so funny. Like he just crushed this. And I think it might've been I'm trying to think who it was. Cause it was one of the main guys that was interviewing him and he just turned on him. I don't know. Chevy Chase is a good rabbit hole. There's some good internet rabbit holes. He's one of them. There's good interviews. There's good features about him over the years. You, you can, you can go a lot of places with that. I went through a norm one because oh, yeah. I norms, had, norms, one of the better YouTube rabbit holes. Right. Because I had Nate Bargatze on, who I love, and we had him on again because the special's out. And at the end of the interview, I pitched him a couple jokes, but I went into it knowing, like, this isn't going to work. And I had texted him ahead of time yeah. to be like, hey, this is my plan. And he, was, he wasn't into it on text. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a disaster. And it didn't work. And I just thought it was funny. So I was researching, like, comedians that do bad jokes. And Norm has this whole clip of on the show that he used to have where he'd have guests come by and read the jokes that those guys wrote and they read them back to him. And they're just funny enough that they still work despite like, they're still yeah. actually funny because it's Norm's sense of humor, but I can't imagine anybody else being able to pull it off. And you're right. Norm's a perfect example of it just, it works. And on YouTube, Norm's terrific. Norm McDonald, for those that may think we're talking about cheers. Yeah. Just Google Norm McDonald, Courtney Thorne Smith. Um, okay. So Thursday, you and I, right before the trade deadline, we're going to start taping. We'll get that up. We think it's going to be a good trade deadline, right? There's too many too many teams that are kind of in that, fuck it, maybe we could be better. Maybe we could get a four seed. Maybe we could get a five seed. Maybe we could flip the switch. That I think there's going to be some desperation. I really do. I don't think it's going to be a dead trade deadline. There's a counter to that, though, with the playing game and some of the teams that have felt stale for such a long time that hey, we get to make the playoffs now. <laughs> Having the 10th best record in the conference. Yeah, but you're, you're going to know you're not going to be able to do anything in the playoffs, though. I think I think would be the counter. All right, we got to go. We got to put this podcast up. We went 12, 12 minutes past uh, past our due date. I will, see you on, I will see you on Thursday. Sounds good. All right, that's it for the podcast. Don't forget about a new rewatchables going up on Monday night. Insidious. An influential horror movie. So influential, you probably didn't even realize how influential it was. But that's coming on Monday night. If you love horror, horror films, check that out. And we'll be back on this feed on Tuesday. See you then. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little 
sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.